my name is, <clears throat> excuse me, Ed Griffin Egg, and I'm one of the pastors on our staff here at Church on the Trail, and you will notice that I do not have that big, clunky, silver podium that I'm so used to, so if I f mess up today, it's because a friend of mine barred it this week, and I texted him this morning, and I said, hey, you going to bring the podium back? Uh, are you going to bring it back this morning? He said, dang, bruh, I forgot about that. It was neither a yes nor a no, so I got a table. This is Richard's table. It's anointed, actually. Um, I want to, before we jump into the message, though, I want to, and I know Jenny, uh, just a few minutes ago, kind of told y'all or, 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 or urged you to look at the different growth groups we've got going on out there, and there are a ton, and there are a ton of ministries. Most every ministry in the church is represented out there, whether it be generations or whether it be mops which is mothers of preschoolers or the homeless ministry uh, m2540 or joyful hearts which is a ministry that serves the folks at the at the oaks at grove park the an assisted living center all those things are out there plus tons of different growth groups and i can't and and there's really probably seven or eight under the umbrella of the growth groups seven or eight that are studying this book of the bible or that book of the bible from genesis to ruth to James, to Hebrews, to Matthew, to Daniel, really just a, a, a gamut of different places to dig in, study scripture in covenant with each other, because that's what we are as Christ followers, y'all, we're in, we're in covenant with each other, and then we're in covenant with the Lord. The increase in, in, in your spiritual maturity and in your walk, when you gather together, we are designed we're wired up. God has breathed life into us to be in relationship with each other. We're not, not to be isolated from each other. And so I, I, I encourage you so much to jump into, into one of those growth groups. And if you're watching online, and if you, if you go to our website, churchonthetrail.org, you can go slash, um, slash connect. And under there, you can sign up for the growth groups you know, on, the, on the website as well. And I mean, y'all can do that in here too. That's available obviously all the time. I also want to say that uh, the How to Study the Bible conference that starts Friday, that's Friday and Saturday of this coming week, um, dinner Friday night is free, breakfast Saturday morning is free, and the child care is free. So I won't be hearing no excuses <laughs> because we're going to give you food. We're going to bribe you with food, good food, Olive Garden Friday night. Um, yeah, so it's good food. And it's going to be a great time of digging, of, of really kind of learning how it is that we study Scripture. So anyway, that was a shameless plug, I guess, for, for what's going on in the life of our church. And I'm excited about all, really all the different ways to plug in and lock arms together and do stuff together. Today, uh, I also, I want to tell you a little story about a guy named Polycarp. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Polycarp. All right, well, some of y'all have heard of Polycarp. Polycarp was born in 69 AD. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John, the Apostle John, a disciple of Jesus. So Polycarp's not that far removed. You know, he was born 35, 40 years after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. So Polycarp, but he's the bishop of Smyrna, a place called Smyrna. And he's brought before the proconsul, the governor of Smyrna, and who was fiercely loyal to Rome. Polycarp wasn't the bishop of Smyrna was. 
excuse me, the, uh, the, the governor was. And he was told that he needed to reject Christ. And he said, they told him, if, if you reject Christ, then he would be released. They'd let him out of, they'd let him out of prison. Um, they would not, they were going to burn him at the stake and they would not do that if he rejected, uh, if he would reject Christ. Here's what he said. I want to read you, the, these are his words. He said, 86 years I have served him, him being Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And so as they tied him to the stake, they're going to burn him, right? He looks up to heaven, he says this, Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Through, now think about this, y'all. He is tied to a stake. They're, you know, putting everything around the bottom of him to, to light him on fire. Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, of the whole creation and of the whole race of the righteous who live in your sight, I thank you. He says, I thank you for having made me worthy of this day and hour. I thank you because I may have a part along with the martyrs in the cup of Christ unto resurrection and eternal life, resurrection both of soul and body in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. He goes on, he says, may I be received today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice among those who are in your presence as you have prepared and foretold and fulfilled for this and for all the benefits, all the benefits, they're fixing to burning, all the benefits, I praise you, I thank you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved son now and for all the ages to come, amen. And they torched him, Polycarp. See, y'all, last week, we were at the beginning of Acts chapter 5. We're walking through the book of Acts, um, Luke's second volume. Luke writes the gospel according to Luke, and then Luke writes Acts. And we were at the beginning of chapter 5, and we talked about Ananias and Sapphira, if y'all remember. Difficult, really difficult uh, passage to stomach, honestly. Today's message, we named Expect It. You'll find out why a little bit in a little bit, but expect it is today. We're going to go on a little further in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Let me read you this passage, and then we're going to dive in. It starts in verse 12. Meanwhile, through the emissaries, the apostles, many signs and miracles continued to be done among the people. United in mind and purpose, the believers met in Shlomo's colonnade, that's Solomon's, kind of Solomon's porch, and no one else dared to join them. That's an odd statement. We'll get to that in a minute. Nevertheless, the people continued to regard them highly. The people looked at them and regarded them highly. They kind of looked up to them. And throngs, the Bible says, and throngs of believers were added to the Lord, both men and women. They went so far as to bring the sick into the streets and lay them on mattresses and stretchers so that at least Kepha, that's Peter, Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. It's a little problematic too, but we'll get to that also. Verse 16, crowds also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and every one of them was healed. But the Kohen Haggadol, that's the high priest, and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sudikim, that's the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the emissaries and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord, an angel of Adonai, opened the doors of the prison led them out and said, go stand in the temple court and keep telling the people all about this new life. After hearing that, they entered the temple area about dawn and began to teach. 
Now the Kohen Haggadol, the high priest and his associates, came and called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, that's Israel's whole assembly of elders, and sent to the jail to have them brought. But the officers who went did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened it, we found no one inside. When the captain of the temple police and the head Kohanim, the head priest, heard these things, they were puzzled and they wondered what would happen next. Then someone came and reported to them, Listen, the men you ordered prison are standing out here in the temple court teaching the people. Now this passage... It's 12 or 13 verses. It paints a pretty clear picture of all of the who's and all of the what's and all of the, the why's and the how's of persecution. Look at the beginning of it. First few verses. We're on the heels of Ananias and Sapphira um, getting smoted, you know, last week that we talked about. Um, and, 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 the, and the Bible says, meanwhile, the apostles, among the apostles, there are many signs and there's many wonders uh, and miracles that continued to happen among the people. And they were united in mind and they were united in purpose and they were united in, in, in spirit and they kept meeting in the, in the colonnade. And it says, you know, people regarded them highly and throngs of believers uh, were added to their, kind of added to their role. And they went as far as to bring the sick into the streets, lay them in the stretchers and at least Cape's shadow would fall on them. Crowds gathered and came from all over the place, all into Jerusalem. And they brought all the sick people and the afflicted and the demon-possessed. And the Bible says every single one of them were healed. And whenever things like that are taking place, God's moving, God's acting, God's healing. People are, are coming to know him. People are falling down and getting saved at the end of the day. And God's doing stuff. Every time that that happens, you can bank on there being persecution. You can like take it to the bank that it's going to happen. It's actually problematic if it's not happening because you're probably, we are probably not doing what we ought to be doing if we're not getting hammered at least a little bit. So God's doing stuff and who hates that? Who? Satan hates it. God's doing stuff. God's moving. God's shaking. Folks getting healed. Folks getting saved. Gospel's getting spread, and the devil hates it. So signs and wonders and miracles cause persecution. Signs and wonders and miracles result in persecution. And so God works these things to demonstrate that clearly that he, Hebrews chapter 11, says he works these things because he, to prove that he does exist and that he is actively working, that he's actively moving and shaking and meeting the needs of his people. And that it's that, that those people that trust him that he looks after. It's the people that trust him, that place saving faith and trust in him that he looks after. The unity of believers. When we're unified, the unity of believers causes persecution, results in persecution. The world fears the unity. The world fears the, the one accordness of believers. When we stand up here and we talk about locking arms, y'all, that's what we're talking about. We're locking arms and we're working together for the sake of the gospel. We're working together in unity to share Christ. The world fears the force and the, and the strength of our doctrine. 
They fear the worship. You know, you look around and hands are up and tears are coming down people's faces. The world fears that worship. The world fears the discipline that we have. The world fears our purpose. The world feared their purpose, absolutely feared their purpose. Fears the mission that we have in unity, the mission that we have. And fears what, what such a bound together body can do together. The world is scared to death of that. John chapter 17. It's what's called the high priestly prayer. Here's what Jesus said. He said that they may all be, he's praying to the Father. Jesus' words. You've got a red letter Bible, they're red in there. He's praying to his Father. He says, and that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are united with me and I with you. I pray that they may be united with us. There's not a period there. Why does he want us united with him? Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Believe. You want to look at the key, the, the keyest word in the gospel of John? It's believe. Believe, 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 believe. Everything in the gospel of John is, is, is all the, the, the things that are done that John writes about is so that the world may believe. John is all about the believe component of this. And so he wants us united so that the world may believe. Public worship by believers causes persecution, results in persecution. The worship and the praise of the Lord is, is such a foundational thing in the life of true, genuine, authentic Christ followers. And that scares the world, the flesh, and the devil. It does. They fear the, the pull and, and the draw and the attraction and the loyalty and the commitment of sincere worship. Y'all, when we sit in here, and, and all of this is worship. When we're in a Bible study, it's worship. When we're giving, it's worship. When we're doing, when we're singing in musical worship, it's, it's worship. I mean, it's all worship. And the world is scared to death of that. When, you, when, when the devil looks in here and it's the musical component of a Sunday morning and hands are up and people are screaming out um, the love for Christ, the world hates that. The world calls you stupid. The world hates it and it causes persecution. Separation from the world and being different causes persecution. We should be different. Scripture tells us we should be different, individually and corporately. And I'm going to say to you that, that if you're on the lost side of the cross and you end up moving to the found side of the cross, you can't be the same as you were on the lost side of the cross. And you've got to be different. You're going to be different. And you're probably going to be different a little bit more each day. And the world is probably going to not necessarily like you as much each day because you're more differenter than you were before. Does that make sense? There's your word of the day. It just kind of came out. So separate, being different and separate from the world causes persecution. And the believers in this early church, they were different. My goodness, they were way different. Their lifestyle, their commitment to God, their, their giving all of who they were and all of what they had above their necessities, their holy fear of the Lord, all of that caused them to walk 
completely differently than the world walked. Very different. Think about at this time, they were probably, somebody who's more scholarly than me can tell me this is wrong, but I'm going to say it was about a year earlier, a year-ish. I can get away if I put an ish on it. A year-ish earlier, Jesus is on the Mount of Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Think about it. He's preaching this long message, longest block of instruction from Jesus anywhere in Scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he's telling these people who live in this rough, tough world to be meek, to be peacemakers. Beginning of chapter 5, the Beatitudes. All of that is your kind of your job description of being a Christian. And it looks very, very different than the world. We'll jump back to that in a minute as well. But being different, maybe you would say radically different than the world. Look what John wrote again, verse uh, chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. I don't know if that, yeah, it is up on the screen. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If someone loves the world, then love for the Father is not in him. If you love all the stuff in the world, you just are probably not madly in love with the Lord. You're just probably not. He says, because all the things of the world, the desires of the old nature, the desires of the eyes, the pretensions of life are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does God's will remains forever. So, being different causes persecution. The commitment to reach out and to, uh, to evangelize the world absolutely causes persecution, results in persecution. The world is going to tell you there's a whole bunch of, of paths to God. There's all kind of paths and what's true for you, if it's true for you, then it's true. And if it's true for me, then it's true. Even if my truth and your truth are in contradiction, that's nonsense, man. That, that's just nonsense. There's not, there's not multiple paths to the Lord. The world believes that. Like your journey to Buddha or your journey to Nirvana or your journey to going to a concert, huh? And your journey... <laughs> Your, your, your journey to spiritual enlightenment or your journey to Muhammad or, or whoever it is, whatever, whatever other little G God that may be, that your, your journey, it's like faith. They would say, like, if you're a, you have faith, doesn't matter what the faith is in, right? If you have faith, you're a man of faith, you're a woman of faith, and that's okay, you're going, you're going to heaven, you're going to live eternally with the Lord. No, that's nonsense, y'all. It's not faith in faith. It's the object of our faith. I could have all the faith in the world in, in Buddha and be wrong and lost and going straight to hell because it's the object. Do y'all get that? It's the who is the object of our faith. It's Jesus Christ. And so it's not faith for faith's sake. No. Then there's some people that would just say, well, look, you can do and believe whatever it is you want, because it doesn't really matter because everybody's going to heaven. Well, no, that's also nonsense. And so because of that, the commitment and the mission of believers that there is only one way, there's only one way to God. 
That's considered narrow by the world, and the world hates that. Don't be judging me. Lord, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Don't be judging me. Who are you to, who are you to judge me? Who are you to say, <clears throat> to say that your way is the only way? Well, dude, that's not me. I mean, it's this book. And if this book is inspired and inerrant and infallible, and if God is who he says he is, then that's what the book says, right? You tracking with me? So, thank you. Somebody's tracking with me. The world mocks and the world fights and the world rejects the idea that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. The world is going to reject that. And your friends and your, your, your lost friends and your lost family, they're going to reject it. They're going to mock you. They're going to they're hate all of that. Because, again, it's going to be like, who are you to say you got an exclusive it's what is scripture. It's just the truth is the truth. And so the world rejects it and the world does its best to remove the gospel from the earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's writing to a very jacked up church in Corinth. And he says this. It's in chapter uh, 3 verse 11. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. There is no other foundation. There is no other pillars. There is no other way other than the way that's already been, that's already happened. And what is that way? It is in Yeshua the Messiah. It is in Jesus Christ, the only foundation that there is. Now, as a little bit of an aside, because I feel like I need to at least touch on verse 15. You know, verse 15, um, Acts chapter 5, verse 15, says that they the people went as far as to, to be bringing the sick into the streets and laying them down um, on mattresses and on stretchers so that at least Kepha, at least Peter's shadow might fall on them. So the people are, cl people are clamoring to get to Peter, believing that if they could just fall underneath his shadow that they would be healed. Now I would say this, and y'all, before you start throwing stuff at me, just hold for a minute. There's no mention in this text that anyone was actually healed in that way. However, it is strongly implied, strongly implied, and so I'm going to believe that there were people healed in that way. But it's just like when, when Peter and John meet the, the beggar at the beautiful gate in the temple. They said, they went on and on and on about, this is not, why y'all looking at us like, like me and John did this, did this miracle? We, we didn't. The Lord, it was the Lord. And so it's the, it really is the same thing. So if, 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 if people were healed in the street when, when Cephas' shadow um, went, went across them, the same two ingredients are happening. What are those two ingredients? It's the people's faith and it's the Lord's power. It's the people's faith and the Lord's power. And the people's faith without the Lord's power, there ain't going to be no healing. So don't you ever, 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 ever let somebody say to you if you have something you got some, um, well, I had prostate cancer. I prayed every day that the Lord would heal that and just that they would do the CAT scan and it would just be gone. Well, guess what didn't happen? That didn't happen. But I got okay. I got okay. And so don't, if somebody had said to me, well, you just don't have enough faith, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. I'm saved. I have no doubt that I'm saved. 
So don't let somebody, does that make sense what I'm saying? Don't let somebody say, well, you just got to believe more. You just got to believe more and God will heal you. And if you're not healed, if you're physically not healed, then you just must not believe enough. That's not biblical, y'all. So, verse 17. But the Kohen Agadol and his associates, the high priest and his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they're filled with what? They are raging jealous. What happens when they're raging jealous? They arrest the guys. So now you see the actual persecution that's going to go on here in Acts 5. They're arrested. They're thrown in the clink. They're shackled. They're put in jail. The door of the jail cell is locked. And this is all in an attempt to shut them up to shut them up through restraint, to shut them up through, through fright, through scaring them, through shaming them. It's all an attempt to shut them up. And I'm sure that actually being arrested, handcuffed, put in the back of the popo car and taken down to a Muskogee County Jail, that's probably going to be enough to restrain, to frighten and to shame most pastors and most people. It just probably would be. But y'all, the truth is, we have been warned over, and they were too, warned over and over and over by Scripture to expect it. Over and over to expect it. Look at John chapter 15, verse 20 in John chapter 15. Jesus says, remember what I told you, a slave is not greater than his master. He says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word... They will keep yours too. He says, but they will do all of this to you. Why? On my account, Jesus says. They're going to do it all on my account because they don't know the one who sent me. In 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, um, I think in Ephesus. And, and, and Paul is kind of pouring his life into Timothy on, here's the way you shepherd a group of of believers and and this is the way you kind of set up a church a local church a local assembly this is the way you share God's word this is the way you do missions this is the way you, so Paul's pouring into Timothy and he tells Timothy in chapter 3 he says all who want to live a godly life united with Jesus Christ will be persecuted it doesn't say you may be persecuted it doesn't it doesn't say on Monday Wednesday and Friday you're going to get persecuted but Tuesday Thursday and like if that's the case, I'm staying in bed Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He doesn't say that. He says you will be persecuted. If you are saved, if you are united with the Lord, you will be persecuted. Write it down. Write Philippians 1.29. You know, write down um, uh, the first, the beginning of John chapter 16. All over scripture, scripture, the Bible warns us that we're going to be persecuted. But praise the Lord, y'all, like no joke. Praise the Lord that we're also promised deliverance over and over and over. We're promised rescue. The Bible use different, uses different words. Deliverance over and over. Rescue over and over. Being saved over and over and over. Look at verse 19. But during the night, an angel of Adonai, an angel of the Lord, opens the doors of prison and let him out said, go stand in the temple court and keep telling the people all about this new life. After hearing that, they entered the temple area about dawn and began to teach. They began to preach. They began to share. Now, Peter and John's deal here, it was a serious deal. It was nighttime. They were behind 
uh, locked prison doors, shackled up. There were guards at their cell. We'll see that in verse 23. But there were guards at their door. Not just, they didn't just lock the door and, you know, and go to the Waffle House. There were guards at their door as well. And they were supposed to stand trial the very next day. So they're in a pickle. They're in a pickle. And so in that situation, in that day, with them locked behind those doors, God's deliverance was through the miraculous workings of an angel. Through the miraculous workings of an angel of the Lord. What does scripture tell us about angels? Angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to everybody? There's a question. Believers. They're sent to minister to believers. To believers. The point is that God cares. God cares. He always cares about the trials and the tribulations and the problems and the whatever that you're going through. He always cares. The problems we have, the, the junk that, uh, that happens in our lives, he cares. And as Christ followers, he's always got our back. Always. It's promised throughout the Bible. He will always, y'all hear this, he will always deliver us through trouble. Always. Now, he may not always do deliver us from trouble. Y'all catch the difference? He is always walking alongside of you. He has always got his arm around you. Walking through this fire with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, write it down. I'll check the spelling after church. Write it down. He's in the fire with us. Whatever the fire is, y'all. Now, sometimes he delivers us by giving us his presence of love, by giving us his presence of security, by giving us uh, his presence in, in, in peace. And I've said this to you before. The words came out of the doctor's mouth that the biopsy was positive for me. Literally, like instantaneously, at the very same moment, the sound waves went in my ear. The peace of God went in my heart. It was the most crazy thing. I, it's so unexplainable. I, ca I can't explain it. Um, that's what unexplainable means, right? I can't explain it. Um, what, what, what does Paul write about the peace of God? It surpasses understanding. That's the only thing I can say. It was instantaneous. I had no fear. And I always lived my whole life thinking I would be scared to death if those words ever came out of a daughter's mouth. But the peace, so sometimes that's the way we're delivered. We're delivered through this trial, whatever it is, um, by the peace and the security and the love that the Lord offers us. Paul is such a good example of that. Years in prison. Paul spent years in prison. Paul's the poster child for making lemonade out of lemons. Because Paul, you think Paul's ministering to the other inmates? Say yes. You think Paul's ministering to the guards? The guards are probably like, baby, on the way to work, baby, we got some earplugs or something. This dude won't shut up. Like I guarantee you. And they're shackled to him 24 hours a day, the Praetorian guard. Who do, you think, who do you think led the massive conversion in Rome? The very guards that are shackled to Paul. They heard the gospel probably every single day, every day. Did they all get saved? I'm sure they didn't all get saved, but I'm pretty sure that some of them did. And they led the charge and the conversion of Rome. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, for God himself has said, I will never fail you or abandon you. So God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I'm with you all the time. I got my arm around you. Therefore, you and I can say with confidence, Adonai, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can a human being do to me? If God has for me, I ain't worried about all that other stuff. If God's got his arm around me, if I'm sitting up in his lap, lap and he's giving me peace and he's providing me security, I ain't worried about all this stuff out there. I expect it, but I sure ain't worried about it. So sometimes that's the way he delivers us. Sometimes he delivers us by calling us home to heaven. When our ministry on earth is done, we saw that with Ananias and Sapphira. Sometimes a believer is to remain in a trial and die as a martyr or die as a sufferer for Christ. What did Polycarp do? We just talked about it. Polycarp is thanking the Lord for participating in the cup of Christ as he's being burned to death. Lord, let me have that kind of fervent faith. Sometimes there is a need to reach somebody who's watching or who's standing by and watching you go through something. And how can you go through that? Somebody's watching and the Lord is using that to lead them to himself. God, like, like he totally tees up and he uses our hope and our faithfulness to the end like Polycarp and, and millions and millions and millions of other martyrs. But he uses that and the way you handle that to reach people. A million percent. That preaches volumes to the people that are watching and witnessing that. Through suffering, he, he, he uses and he he. Pro- He proves his love, his glorious love, and his power for his servants. Listen, January 9th, 1985, and this this goes to how we, uh, how people watch and see things. 1985, there's a pastor in Bulgaria. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Bulgaria. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Bulgaria. Okay, Bulgaria, his name is Christo Kulazov. He's arrested, he's put in jail. His crime was preaching to his church. Gets in jail, he immediately starts uh, preaching the gospel. He immediately starts sharing Christ with the inmates in the prison. Um, He had a trial, which was a mockery and a joke probably. And he was sentenced to, I can't remember, he was sentenced to eight months or 18 months. I think he was sentenced to 18 months. He did his time, he gets out and he wrote these words. He said, both prisoners and jailers ask many questions. It's just like Paul in Rome. He says both, these are his words, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions and we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have ever expected at church. So in his case, as Paul's case in Rome, these are his words. He said, God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. So sometimes that, that you're there, and you can't see it in the fire often because you're like, just get me out. Just get me out. But people are watching and, thing, and things are happening. 
So sometimes he does it that way. Sometimes he calls you home. And sometimes God delivers us out and away from trouble. Sometimes the trouble is just gone. So I bet you everyone in this room knows somebody probably one or two generations away who has had the CAT scan or has had the, the, um, the ultrasound or has had the x-ray and something was there a month ago and then it ain't there no more. Raise your hand if you have know anybody that, that, that that's the case. Me too. So sometimes it's gone. I would say probably most of the time that's not the case. Sometimes you're in the fire and God quenches the fire and he removes you from it. That, he does that sometimes. So, so, and, and why? Because sometimes he will be best served if you are free of that trial completely and still alive. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about being persecuted or he's talking about being persecuted in Asia. And in, second, in the beginning of, of, uh, of 2 Corinthians, verse 10, it says, He rescued us, he the Lord, he rescued us from such deadly peril, and he will rescue us again. The one in whom we have placed our hope will indeed continue to rescue us. So praise the Lord. Sometimes he removes us from the fire, or he removes the fire from us. Now know this, always. His deliverance, however his deliverance takes place, if he takes you home or if he just walks with you through the fire or if he puts the fire out, whatever it is, it will never be purposeless. Never. Romans 8, 28. It will never, ever, ever be purposeless. He stirs up everything and works it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The good stuff and the bad stuff. Trials. Raise your hand if you love going through a trial. That's ridiculous. No, you do not. Nobody does. <laughs> we all, though, in the, I look back on, on and the, the cancer was the biggest trial probably I had in my life. Um, even bigger probably than my family hating us for years. But in the, in, 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 and in the midst of it, it was like, dude, I don't want to have to do this stuff. But, uh, but when I look back at it through the corridor of three or four years, like I can see all the little God things that happened and my, the, I don't even know the word, strength maybe. The strength of my, my faith, the closeness of my relationship with the Lord because of, of what happened over those four years, it's ridiculous. Like it's just, it's, un, it's just unbelievable. The fire's hot, right? And it kind of stinks to be in the fire, but God uses it. Again, it's Romans 8, 28. So it's never without purpose. In this case, with Peter and John, the guys, when they're let out of jail, what was the purpose? To go and stand and speak. Go and stand and speak. About what? About the Lord. So boldness and, 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 and courage to tell, what does verse 20 say? To tell these people all about this new life all about being a new creation, all about the old has passed away and the new has come, all about that, Hold the whole gospel of salvation, the glorious message of the death and the resurrection of Christ, not watering down anything, not changing anything, not holding back, not trying to soften the message to make it more acceptable to the people that are there. No, that's not why the angel got him out of jail. 
It was to go preach the full counsel of God right out there in Shlomo's colonnade. Here is a significant point. Difficult assignments usually follow miracles. They do. You can look at that extra biblically, which means history outside of the Bible, and you can look at that in Scripture. Difficult assignments usually follow miracles. There is a heavy responsibility that falls on a guy that God works a miracle for. There is heavy accountability, heavy responsibility. God frees his servant in order to perform a great work. And miracles befuddle the world. Miracles confound the world. Miracles uh, uh, seem crazy to the world. And God sees to it. Why? Because he wants to take that miracle and use it to take that befuddled world and lead them to the foot of his cross and be convicted and converted. That's, that's why. So the angel of the Lord frees them up uh, out of that jail to go and stand and speak, and what do they do? Did they sit down and write pros and cons on some piece of paper and then take six months to decide what to do? What's the Bible say? It just said they went. They obeyed fully, and they obeyed swiftly, and they obeyed completely. As soon as they could, they got up early in the morning. They went to the temple and taught. Look at the rest of verse 21. Now, the high priest and his associates came and called a meeting of the whole assembly of the elders, the Sanhedrin, that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the leaders, all the elders, sent to the jail to have them brought. Why? Because they were fixing to have a trial. They were fixing to lay the wood down, lay the hammer down, on the, on the apostles. But the Bible says, but the officers who went did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. I, I would hate to have been one of those guards. But when we opened it, we found nobody inside. Captain of the temple police and the, and the head priest heard about those things. What's it say? They were puzzled and they wondered what was going to happen next. And then somebody came and said, listen, y'all, the men you ordered to be in prison, the men that you're talking about that you want to bring over here to the courtroom so you can have your mock trial, they're out there talking about that Jesus guy again. You didn't told them 15 times to shut up, but they're out there doing it again. That's what the temple police said. And so the story of, of, of what happens next, it is a great picture of, of persecution whenever it's launched against Jesus and his followers. So we see the persecutors, the whole assembly, all the leadership, all of them, they're convened to try the disciples. The guards find them, uh, find them missing. The cell's empty. They've been delivered out of persecution. The Bible says the persecutors are amazed. They're dumbfounded. They, they doubt. They were prepared perplexed. They were completely baffled. They're wondering, they're questioning, they're, they're at a loss for like what happened. They have no idea how that kind of craziness could have possibly happened. And they were apprehensive about the growth of this new movement, this movement that in the time they called them the way, the way that they weren't called really called Christians in. They were called, they were part of the way. Where'd that come from? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They were part of this movement called the way. 
And so the persecutors here, they make this, this unreal discovery. They were gone, but the disciples had not fled like most people would do. They didn't just hit the road and not stop running. No, they ran 100 feet and are talking about Jesus. They're teaching the people. And so they're demonstrating this unbelievable uh, behavior. They're not acting like other men. They were like a blazing fire running rampant through a forest. They were unstoppable. You do realize that we serve an unstoppable God, that he is going to get done what he determines to get done. And so the, the, the Sanhedrin, the ones that are persecuting, they've never seen a conviction and a hope like the disciples had. A, con, a conviction and a hope that is so different from that of any other person any other people, it was a conviction and a hope that the res resurrection of Christ actually happened. It was the basis and the foundation for their hope that he walked out of that grave alive. A conviction and a hope that men and women must believe the resurrection of the Christ, repent, and be saved. And they were totally convicted that they must proclaim that gospel to a lost world, no matter the persecution. There was no doubt they were convicted and their hope lied and they had to proclaim Jesus. That's why they get out of jail and they go over there and start talking about him. Let me give you a thought here. The behavior of authentic believers that are in the middle of, uh, of persecution, it will always, always dumbfound and perplex the haters. Always. I've been called a Jesus freak by my family. I cannot begin to tell you how many times. It's like a badge of honor, really. And so the a true believers trust in the message of the Lord. It, it, it can't be stamped out, ever. It can't be stamped out. And so we're to live um, for the Lord even in the face of persecution. There's a book called The Calling guy named Brother uh, Andrew, I think he's from the Netherlands. He wrote this. He said, we were planning to smuggle a million Bibles into China, wanting to be sure that the believers in that country realized the immensity of the task and that they were willing to accept that risk. A million Bibles. He said, we sent Joseph, a Chinese team member, to meet with five key house church leaders in China. And he said, do you know how much space a million Bibles takes up? And they said, we've already got storage places prepared. Well, do you know what could happen to you if you were caught with even one of those Bibles? And Joseph, he said, Joseph, look, man, all of us have been in prison for the Lord. The five of us have been in prison 72 years for Jesus. We're willing to die even if it, 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 we will die to get a million people the word of God. We're okay. We're going to get the million Bibles to people who don't have the word of God. And even if it costs us our life, we're okay. And so with tears in his eyes, Joseph folds up this long list of questions that he had and he put it away. And he says, uh, Brother Andrew writes, whether it is ris risking our life or risking our reputation, serving the gospel requires courage. God never said his work was safe. And I want to get real with y'all for the last couple of minutes we've got. When is it that we started believing that God wants us, wants to, to, to send us to safe places 
to do easy things. When did we start believing that? That God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things. That faithfulness is found in just simply holding down the fort. When did we start believing that there is any greater privilege than sacrifice? Here's the deal. Jesus was not impaled on a cross with a crown hammered down into his skull to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness ain't just holding down the fort. It's not. It is courageously storming the gates of hell. That's what it is. And the gates of hell will never prevail because a body of believers locking arms can storm the gate. We're not called just to play it safe. It's the complete denial of self, the surrender of our life for the, to, for the cause of Christ. It shouldn't be radical. They call, call me a Jesus freak. Radical. No, it should be normal. That should be normal. We're a Christ follower. We totally deny self and we are sold out everything inside of us for the cause of Christ. That shouldn't be radical. It should be normal. I'm going to tell you, man, it is time for me and you to stop living as if the purpose of life is to land and arrive safely at death. Somebody write that down. It is time for us to stop living our life like the purpose is to just land safely at death. It's not. We have done one of two things. We have, we have either, we've either Americanized the gospel or we've spiritualized the American dream. But you know what? Effectively, those are the same thing. We've either Americanized the gospel or we've spiritualized the American dream. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. Neither one of those things is the gospel. Neither one of those things is the true, full-blown gospel. Jesus plus something to make him more attractive. Or Jesus minus something. Same thing, to make him more attractive. Neither of those is the gospel. The pure, unadulterated Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching and 5,000 people get saved gospel. None of this other junk is the gospel. That sermon in Acts 2, that's as good as it gets, man. Like that is as good as it, that is as pure the gospel as it gets. It's perfect. Well, why is it perfect? Because its object is perfect. All those people that came to faith didn't get saved because they had faith in faith. They got saved because they had faith in the one that Peter is screaming from the mountaintop about. We tend to want God on our terms, but we don't get God that way. Y'all, you don't get him on your terms. That's how you get false religion. That's how you get a false gospel. That's how you get a cherry-picked gospel. Let me cherry-pick some verses make you feel good. Y'all, that, 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 that just ain't how it works. A cherry-picked gospel the end result is a false God that you or I have created in our image. That's not how it works. You only get a relationship with the Lord on his terms. And you can take it or leave it. I know that's harsh. I know that may sound, sound harsh, but it's true. You can take it 
or you can leave it, but you can only take it on his terms. We don't get to rewrite the rules of engagement. There's the rules of engagement. And you and I don't get to rewrite it. We don't get to add to it and we don't get to take away from it. The gospel is the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul explains the deal that is on the table. And the deal that's on the table is on the table every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year until Jesus comes back. Paul explains the deal. It's one of the few places in scripture where Paul was brief. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's what happened. He's made sin on that cross. And so if you say yes, I want to call the worship team back up too if they're around. If you say yes to that offer that's on that table all the time, then your sin is transferred to Jesus' account and it's marked paid in full. It was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is me not getting what I deserve. And what I deserve is to get thumped into the pit of hell. Grace, grace is when I get what I don't deserve. Well, what is it that I don't deserve? I sure don't deserve the righteousness of Christ, but that's what I get. Everything that I have ever done wrong, everything that you have ever done wrong or ever will do wrong is forgiven and forgotten. And everything that Christ did right, his righteousness is transferred to your account. And then God says, we're even. Y'all, that is the most unbelievable. It's like God says, I will take the hit for every jacked up thing that you have ever done and I will give you credit for every right thing that I've done. And that is the best deal ever in the history of the world. And God says it's even. Think about that. The balance sheet just got balanced. I know gospel means the good news. It is the best possible news that there, that there could ever be. And because I know all of that is so foreign to the world, I expect the persecution. Like I expect it, I know it's coming. I'm gonna wear it again, I'm gonna wear it as a badge of honor. I don't care what it's for, I'm gonna wear it as a badge of honor. When the world calls me stupid, the Lord calls me faithful. I get called stupid all the time, y'all. When the world calls me deceived, the Lord calls me enlightened. When the world calls me lost, the Lord calls me found. Think about that. How long of your life, if you were a Christ follower, were you lost and the world calls you lost? When the world calls me weak, the Lord calls me meek. You know, there's a difference. Meekness is not weakness. My wife is the meekest human I've ever met in my life, but she is far from weak. She will throat punch me in a second. But she is the meekest gentlest, peacemaking. When the world says, don't you take that, the Lord says, I'm merciful. The world says, you shouldn't take that, but the Lord says, you're merciful. 
when the Lord says, I mean, when, when, when the world says, just deny him. That's what they said to Polycarp. Just deny him. It's okay. The Lord says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Think about that, y'all. It's like the Beatitudes, like Jesus just turned it upside down. And the world is gonna hate you. But you're a witness. You're a witness. The Lord deals in remnants. Some are gonna say yes and some are not gonna say yes. But the world's gonna watch how you walk through a trial. That is probably one of the very best witnesses you could ever have. Is let the Lord walk, see you walk through something terrible happening to a child. Let the, Lord, let the world see you walk through a cancer diagnosis or, 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 or just some horrible thing. But you walk through that trial with grace and you walk through that trial leaning on the Lord. And the world will, people will see that. Some are gonna come to him and you just don't know who's watching. I talked about John today, the apostle John and Polycarp, um, one of his disciples. And I know that I know that John poured into Polycarp how strong and how important the word was be believe was. And so I wanna share this with you. If you don't know him today, if you're watching online or if you're in here and you don't know him, believe, believe, repent and believe. That's the gospel. You'll know what Peter and, and, and the guys preached in the colonnade when they got out of jail? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and, and believe what? Believe that Yahshua died on the cross in the greatest exchange ever. You get to give him your sin and he gets to give you his righteousness. That's the gospel. So repent and believe that that death was for you for your sins and believe that he wrote, confessed those sins and that he rose from the grave and walked out. Believe that. Cry out and he will save you. And I want to say this and I'm going to step off. Don't go to sleep tonight without considering that offer. If you don't know him, if you want to come down here right now to this altar, cry out to the Lord to save you, I know beyond all doubt that he will save you right there. He'll save you in your seat too. He'll save you laying in the bed with your head on the pillow thinking about this as well. So I, if you want to come down now, that's fine. Just don't go to sleep without considering the offer because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Let me pray and we'll be done. Lord, we love you today. We, we thank you for your love and for your mercy. And in some weird way, Lord, we thank you for the persecution of the world. We know and we trust and we believe that if the world is hammering us, we must be doing something right. And I know that people are hurting in our little church family. Marriage is being attacked, attacked. But Lord, you've raised up somebody to do a marriage growth group, to pour into young couples, old couples alike. I know, Lord, People in our church are under attack. Marriages are under attack. There's sickness, there's illness in people's families. Dementia, people are going through. So Lord, let us, 
Let us have the right perspective of that. Let us wear it as a badge of honor. Lord, let us be good witnesses through those trials. When the world watches, let them watch somebody in our church family going through something and just wonder how in the world are you not just on the floor crying every day? And our answer could be, well, let me tell you about the Jesus that's got his arm around me. Lord, let us be faithful witnesses through it. We love you and it's in your son's name, amen.